All right, people are here. Good, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that I'm not just preaching to a handful of people. Uh, We're so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. And if you're visiting, uh, let me just say that we are grateful to have you as our guest. And we would love to know who you are. We'd love to help you get connected uh, into the life of our church. We'd love to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, So you can text the word connect to the number that you see on the screen. And one of our team members uh, will follow up with you and help you get plugged into the life of our church. Also, as Paul mentioned, and thank you so much, Paul, for and Christy, for leading us in worship today. Uh, we're, we're grateful for you doing that, and uh, of course, grateful that uh, Pastor Justin could have a much-needed day off. Um, uh, but as he mentioned, uh, we are uh, in our last Sunday, and, and of course, the year is about to wrap up, and because God has been gracious and faithful to us uh, through the generosity of his people, uh, we have exceeded our budget, and so uh, everything that is coming in right now uh, is 50% of that is going towards uh, retiring our debt so that we can be positioned uh, to do what God is calling us to do in the future. Uh, And then, of course, another 25% of that is going to go towards uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So that's an addition to what people are giving uh, specifically to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So uh, just pray that God would uh, stir our hearts to give uh, radically and generously uh, so that we can see his uh, will happen, not just here, but across the world. And as was mentioned in the welcome, uh, we are going to be uh, participating in a churchwide Bible reading plan in 2022. You can find more information about that on our website. We'd love for you to get signed up for that. And uh, we'll be walking through the New Testament together during the year of 2022. And what a great way to just uh, strengthen each other as we're reading the same things and discussing the same things together. I know several of our life groups are planning to to do that and then meet uh, to discuss the scriptures they're going through as well. So I hope you will take part in that. If you've never read the Bible, what a great opportunity to uh, be a part of a community who's reading the scripture together. All right, well, if you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter eight as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark. And last week, we looked at Mark chapter eight, verse 31 through 34. And I'm gonna read Mark chapter eight, verse 31 uh, to start. It says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And we talked about how God's purpose is not always what we feel in our heart should happen, or what we think in our mind should happen. So we get this glimpse here of Peter saying to Jesus, you can't be right. You must be confused. God is for us. So why would he let you die and why would he leave us without you? And then Jesus tells Peter, you aren't thinking about this from a godly perspective. Then he says what could almost be used as a thesis statement for what it means to be a Christian in verse 34. And calling the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In this verse, Jesus shows us that understanding the concept of embracing God's purpose over what we feel or what we think should happen 
is not only a physical, excuse me, philosophical obstacle to overcome, it is actually a part of what it means to be a Christian. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, verse two, that the mind of a Christian is transformed by the renewing that takes place in our life. That Christians are no longer to be conformed to the patterns of this world. That is, as a Christian, we aren't living for the standards or definitions of life that are set forth for us by any source apart from God. Our life is not our own. It belongs to God. I have no right to take your life and you have no right to take my life. But that is not because our life is our own. It's because our life belongs to God. And he reserves the right to say when our life begins and ends, if the Lord wills, we will make it out of this service alive. That's encouraging, right? (laughs) And if he doesn't, we won't. So he also has the right to say what the purpose of our life is. Now we've been taught, save this life. Make it as good as possible. Be comfortable. Succeed. Follow your dreams. And while those are not things that you avoid just for the sake of avoidance or because we have some kind of guilt if we're too comfortable or too successful or if we get what we want, we need to be weary of the pursuit of what the world says that we need. We need to be aware of our desire to save our life, to justify our worth by earning it, by reaching a certain level, or by proving ourselves. As we continue on in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says in Mark 8 verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Saving our life is something Jesus does for us. So when we seek to save our life, we are telling Jesus that we are better at his job than he is, which is insulting. It's insulting to God's character. It's insulting to God's nature. And when we think we can save our life, we're wrong. We're just simply wrong. If you and I are the ones who are saving our life, we will lose it. The word lose that Jesus used here means to destroy. Jesus is saying, if you are the one who preserves your life, you will destroy your life. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he makes a statement that kind of connects to this and contrasts with that. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. To save your life, You have to lose it. The same words are used here in the latter part of this verse for save and lose as were used in the first part of this verse. So Jesus is saying, if you destroy your life for my sake and the gospel, it's saved. Now the idea of destroying our life uh, is something that at first glance seems bad for us, sounds bad to us. Partly because our culture is all about building our lives up. You know, there's a song by Elvis Presley in the 60s said, it's now or never. And there's a mentality of we have to seize what we want out of life 
because it's now or never if we don't take it into our own hands to get it for ourselves. There's a more modern day uh, saying of that called YOLO. I don't think people really say that anymore. But you only live once. Yeah, somebody's laughing at me because you don't say it anymore. You only live once. And so every day you need to approach your life in a way that you would get what you want out of life. There's the idea of following your dreams, of living the dream. And even in Christianity, we begin to soak our messages and our, our beliefs with this language of following your destiny or living your best life. And what we mean by that is not pursuing Jesus, but we mean getting the things that we in the flesh want out of this life. So let's, let's be hypothetical for a moment. And let's say that you get every single thing that you want in your life, which you actually can't get every single thing that you want in your life. There are limits to that. Now, you can make think, people think you did and change the narrative by putting a front on social media or at church or wherever, but let's say you did. Let's say that you had all these dreams when you were seven and truly none of them changed and you accomplished all of those dreams in your life. What now? You've achieved them. You have them all. You see, this is why so many wealthy, famous, incredibly influential people who the world says have everything that life is about often still seem so empty. Because we have been sold that these things are our purpose. And then someone reaches the pinnacle sacrificing a ton of other things to get to that mountaintop, and it's not what they were promised. They're rich and they're famous, so they typically can soften the consequences of a fall, but they're still empty. And on a smaller scale, I'll just say that's why the consequences of pursuing the flesh doesn't seem so bad for middle-class people, because we can often soften the consequences of our falls. But there's a wake of heartache, wasted money, and mental health recovery in where this ship has sailed. And if you believe in eternity, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to take 70 or 80 years and invest everything into those 70 or 80 years without concern for what life will be like after 70 or 80 years. That would be like spending half of my income on video games or some other form of entertainment, which to some of our Middle schooler sounds amazing right now in Christmas. But this is what Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand about the necessity of his death and the necessity of how they view their lives. He goes on to say in verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What is the use? What is the benefit? What is the advantage when he says, what is the profit? If a man gains, if he acquires the whole world, everything that he thinks can be pursued, and yet he achieves all of that and he destroys, he loses his soul. Is all of that worth your soul? What is the advantage of someone gaining everything they can in the world if what they gain destroys their soul. Now we like to look to the extreme examples of the movies and the news, but many people, perhaps in this room, 
perhaps watching online this morning, are sacrificing their soul in their personal pursuit of happiness. And if there's, this is you, would you understand something? There's nothing you can do about it. Look at what Jesus says in verse 37. For what can a man give in return for his soul? If you have forfeited your soul in the pursuit of what the world has to offer, of what you think makes you happy, there's nothing you can give to get your soul back. If you have gained the whole world but forfeited your soul, there's nothing you can do to buy it back. And this is what people are trying to do. They're trying to buy their souls back. They're trying to save their lives when they realize they're losing their lives. And so they think, if I'm a good citizen, if I meet a certain standard, then even though I forfeited my soul, I can, I can buy it back. Or they think, if I give my kids the life that I did not have, or all the opportunities that they could want, even though I've forfeited my soul, perhaps my soul can be purchased back and earned back because of what I've provided for my children. Or if I, you know, am religious, if I do the things that my pastor, if I do the things that my priest, if I do the things that whomever says that I should do, if I live in a virtuous way, then even though I forfeited my soul because of this, these things will buy my soul back. But you have not recognized in this who your soul belongs to. And you have come up with your own system and your own justification for what buys your soul back. Now, I like the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses and what he calls the message. He says, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? What Eugene is talking about and what Jesus is getting to here is God has created you for a reason. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. God, who spoke the world into existence, in the same way spoke you into existence. He wants you here. He has a plan for your life. And when you decide, instead of God, the purpose of your life, you have exchanged God's will, God's great and glorious will for your life for a measly version of what life really is. And no matter how many commercials and movies and posts 
validate you living for what you have come up with that life should be, no matter how many fellow believers affirm you living for what you think life should be, God knows what life is because he is the author of life. In him is life. And I know some of you don't like this. In fact, you just wanna hear the positive stuff. You don't wanna hear about this need to deny ourselves. I know that's why some people don't come to this church. But my responsibility is not to get you to come back or get you to like me. It's my responsibility to plead with you for your soul. Because Jesus says in the last verse of this section of scripture, verse 38, Mark chapter eight, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, there's a lot of people who've come up with a different version of Jesus and who neglect much of what the scripture teaches. They're ashamed of Jesus and they're ashamed of his words. And so whether they're irreligious or they say they're very religious, they're ashamed of what Jesus who Jesus really is, and they're ashamed of what Jesus really teaches, and so they've run away from that. And the consequences of that are eternal separation from him. That's what Jesus is saying. So he's saying to us, if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves and turn to him. Matthew says in his account of this, chapter 16, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That there is a judgment that is coming by God, by Jesus, on the way that we have lived our lives, on how we've one anothered, as the scripture tells us to do. And look, you might think I'm being judgmental and telling you not to live this way. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just telling you what the judge says. And so I want to kind of walk through what it means then to really live these verses out in our lives. So I'm gonna read this passage again and then I just wanna give us some things that really help us understand what it means to really live this out in our life. Mark chapter eight, verse 31 through 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father 
with the holy angels. So as I said last week, a, a quote from the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of man, is to bring glory to God and to enjoy him. The reason you and I have life is to show Jesus to be the treasure that he is, to live lives that reflect the truth of who God is, that he is our greatest treasure. You see, there's one central idea that should govern all of the decisions that you make in life and in death. Will this help make Jesus Christ look like the treasure that he is? Will this decision, will this conversation, will these words, will whatever it may be, will it show Jesus to be how valuable he truly is? This isn't a duty. This isn't an obligation. It's a glorious exchange of our life and the things that we might hold to be valuable for what is infinitely valuable in Christ. It's to recognize who Christ is and who Christ has told us we are and to live a life in response, in gratitude for him. Because this life in Christ is the best life. It is from the author of life. It is from the creator. It is from the savior. And so I wanna pour my life back out to him because he knows so much better than I what is for my good. And living this way is what glorifies God to enjoy him and treasure him forever. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You see, Jesus, for the Christian, is enough. In fact, he's more than enough. And so, because of that, we can trust him. The barrier to us trusting God is what we might miss out on if we do what God says, but if God is there, I don't really need any of this other stuff and I can trust him. And if I'm supposed to have this stuff, then he's gonna give it to me and he's gonna give it to me his way. And so I obey him because I trust him. The song, the hymn isn't obey and obey, it's trust and obey. And so we trust and we obey and it approaches, excuse me, it changes and affects how we approach everything in our life. We view our career not for our treasure, but with Jesus as our treasure, that he has placed us there to reflect his value in who we are and how we talk to people and why we have the relationships that we have. In our marriage, our marriage is not viewed in light of what we might get out of it, but rather the fact that Christ has given it to us and why he has given it to us. Our children are a treasure to us ultimately to be steward, to be, that we would be stewards to the God who has placed us as their shepherds. Our friendships are not for our gain, they're for the kingdom's gain. Our income isn't so that we could have the life we want, but so that we would lose our life for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And so when we understand Jesus to be who he is, the treasure that he is, it affects how we view our life. And people who are satisfied in God don't say, look at what I have 
or how can I get more? They look for ways to use what they have for God. People who are satisfied in God don't say, look at what I have. We don't live lives to put ourselves on a pedestal and exalt ourselves so that others would see what we have. And we're not consumed with the question of how can I get more? But we say, this is what God has given me and how can I use this for God and his glory? Now, when it comes to all this, we often, you know, kind of talk about other things other than money. As, as Christians today, we often avoid the topic of money. We don't like talking about it because, well, because we can pretend we're loving and our bank account tells us if we're not, you know. Um, it's the, oh yeah, I'm a loving person. How are we gonna argue that, you know? Oh, I'm a faithful steward. Really, what's your bank account say? Oh, change the subject. Let's talk about love again. And then we redefine, right? Like, I even hear people always talk, well, you can tithe your time, and blah, blah, blah. That's true. But also, money, <laughs> that's also a part of what we're supposed to do. And then in America, in the Western church, that's more fair, we just kind of affirm each other in our pursuit of, you know, gain. And we, we always say things like, well, you deserve better. You deserve more. You deserve more. And again, I'm not anti some of the, the blessings that we might have, the material blessings that we might have, but we must be honest with ourselves about whether we treasure Jesus and our money is a great indicator of whether or not we do that. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He makes it pretty clear. He states it pretty plainly. If, if we're not valuing him with our finances, we really don't value him. We don't. Jesus actually gives a warning about being consumed in this way that I think very directly parallels with what he's saying here in Mark. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. It is not rich towards God. That's the question for us as a believer. Is what God gives us being used for eternity, for the kingdom, for God, showing him and his kingdom to be our treasure? Or is this life our treasure? Now, I wanna say something, because I, I believe this to be true based on the scripture. And I think we need to understand this. God generally helps us to succeed in using what we have for him. So, you know, when I said that we should be asking of what we have, you know, not can I have more, but how to use it for God. Sometimes it's investing. Sometimes it's putting that money to work, putting our, our, our life to work so that we can succeed more. But what's the so that? And I believe that all, Typically, generally, when we are working hard, we're trying to do things for the Lord, God helps us in that. 
And, and so I just need to say, you know, for some of us, we can't get to that mentality where we really see God working in and through us and blessing us, and, and there's different reasons. And, and so some of you, it's that you keep looking to your past. I, we had these, when Christy and I uh, got married, uh, we didn't have any children right away, but within like six years of marriage, we had four. But so our house was empty, so we bought a dog, and um, we were both working, and, and we didn't have time for the dog, so we bought the dog, you know, another dog. Um, and... Uh, it was interesting because the first dog, she, she it was like 30 pounds small, but she was an older dog. The, the next dog we bought, Charlie, he ended up being like 80 pounds, but he was always submissive to her because he remembered her being bigger than him and her being the boss, even though he could literally destroy her. And I feel like that's how some of you are when it comes to your past. You haven't realized what God has done in you and how he's grown you. And you still keep acting like who you used to be and like how things were. And you don't believe God wants to work in and through you and God wants to bless you because of whatever happened in the past. And I just want you to know that God has grown you in such a way that you don't have to be afraid of those same things anymore. And, you know, something I tell my, my, my eight-year-old, if you know our family, he's clearly gonna be the biggest person in our family, but his older brothers can be a little rough on him. And I tell him, just tell him, you wait and see. So that's like his, his uh, you know, thing because, hey, he's gonna be bigger than them one day. And so when we approach, you know, we failed before. You failed before. You've outgrown that. You had a bad relationship. You've outgrown that. You had a bad experience in church. That's in the past. Stop looking to the past and stop blaming your failures on inadequacies because here's what I would say to you. The scripture is full of the truth that God wants to take the inadequate and use them for his glory. What if I fail? What if, what if you fail? I often run through worst case scenarios. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not that bad. And, and, and here's something you need to understand. And this might be depressing to some of your teenagers. Don't read the book of Ecclesiastes yet. Failure is inevitable. It's inevitable. And the issue is not how we avoid failure, but it's how we respond to failure. And we need to stop blaming our, 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 our not moving forward on the ways we are inadequate because yes, we are all inadequate together. That's why we join together for worship. We are all inadequate. We, we exalt the one who is adequate for us. And we exaggerate our obstacles, right? I mean, I don't know if you ever remember going somewhere when you were a kid and you thought it was like huge, massive, and then you go back and you're like, Oh, that's not very impressive, you know. And, and so sometimes we just need true perspective and we need someone who can help us overcome our obstacles. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're exchanging a life that is really not what is best for you for what I have for you. When he says, I work all things together for the good to those who serve him and are called according to his purpose, he's saying, I'm able to help you in all of these things. I'm able to take our, your mess ups, your junk, your failures, and make it a win. You want control, but I'm really the one in control. Your control is an illusion of control. And he says, in me, I will make everything good. Now, success is based on the promise of God. And we need to understand this. When God says good, we're not thinking about earthly good. We're thinking about how God defines good. And we need to know that God can be glorified through us, and this is, I think, the last thing I wanna say, in our suffering, just as well, if not more, than our success. And maybe some of you need to hear this this morning. God can be glorified through us in our suffering 
just as well, if not more, than our success. Hopefully, as believers, we will do our best for our circumstances. But our circumstances are not what define us. And there have been children born in poverty since the existence of the world. And they don't achieve the American dream or anything close to what we often say validates people. And I think it's arrogant and foolish to think that just because we work hard, everything will work out the way that we want it to be. That's a very limited view of the world and a very limited view of life. And often, and I mean this in love, in the celebrity sports, athlete, even pastor culture, they kind of say things like, you know, Basically, everything works out, and I worked hard, and I was self-made. Dude, you live in America. People died so that you could have the freedoms that you have. Christian values influence the culture that we live in. You're not self-made. And when you fail to be humble and recognize that you're really in a fortunate circumstance because of just where you were born, which you had nothing to do with, you fail to realize the fragility of life and the reality of what success truly is. And what God wants for us is us to do what's right regardless of whether or not it works out on earth. What God wants for us is to be people of character regardless of whether or not it leads to earthly prosperity. This is what God wants. What can we do with what we have and where we are? And we believe a lie if we think if I get this job or if I had this or once I'm married or if I have kids and you can let that stop you from being who God has called you to be. And it carries over into whatever next phase of life but what Paul says, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be in jail and I can be free. I can be brought high and I can be brought low, but I can honor Christ in all of that because of who Jesus is, because of what he did and because of where I am going. I can face whatever for him. So this is the call to us. What Mark is recording and what Luke says when he says it very plainly to, through in his record of Jesus, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny ourselves. Know that God knows better than we. God is why we're here. And our purpose is found in him and in trusting in him. And when we treasure him for the treasure he really is, I'm telling you, it makes everything in our life more valuable. And it causes us to have a deep treasure even when the world says we have nothing to treasure. The kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And he went and sold everything he had because he knew the value of that field. It's a stupid scenario unless you know the value of that field. And sometimes the world, and even I would say Christ resembling people, think why do we live the way that we live? It's because we know the value of the field. We know the value of the kingdom. That's why it makes sense to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And so as we I don't know what this is. This isn't really the new year. This isn't really, I mean, two days after Christmas. I don't know what today is, but um, I just want us to just meditate before we go just on the life of Christ 
and what it means to have life in him. And I've invited a couple of our Bayshore students to come and they'll come join me now. And they're just gonna read some passages of scripture just from the book of Philippians. So the scripture is rich with this. And as we hear these words, we hear these students read these words, may they seep deeply into our hearts and may we respond with a life of worship. Thank you, guys. Philippians 1, verse 21 through 26. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am not to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Together. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And I just pray now, Lord God, that in our hearts you would be exalted. And so maybe even you can help us to just see a picture of ourselves in front of the throne with Jesus on it. The one who has come into this world, the one that has been slain for our sins are the one who was resurrected on the throne, the one who has every right to judge, not just by position, but by character. And God, the only appropriate response is to fall on our face in front of that throne. And God, in your grace, you pick us up and you look at us, the King, the Holy One, and you say, we are yours. So Lord, 
you turn us around and you call us to live a life, not on our own, but with your power. God, help me to deny myself and take up my cross daily and follow you into the life you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen.